beautiful. And we pray that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus the Christ, that you would help us to see your beauty, help us to see your glory this morning, Lord God. And Father, this morning we're preaching into such an area of pain and shame and guilt and, and evil that we ask you would open our hearts to your word and that your word would take root in our hearts and that you would guard us from the designs and the schemes of the evil one. So we claim your covenant blood over this place, this sanctuary, this building, these people, this uh, message over uh, how it goes out, Lord, that, that uh, you would guard us from the lies of the evil one, you would fill us with truth, and you would set us all free. In Jesus' name, help us to preach, Lord God. Amen. From the 16th to the 19th century, approximately 12 million African slaves were shipped across the Atlantic Ocean. A million more did not survive the, the journey. Uh, some were simply thrown overboard when European slavers uh, figured that they did not have enough supplies to feed them. Others that were deemed unhealthy or, or unfit were also thrown over. Not all or, or even most of those slaves were shipped to the United States, but by 1865, there were four million slaves in our country. And so slaves were bought and sold as, as property, even by those that wrote and signed the Declaration of, of Independence, founding fathers like Thomas Jefferson and George Washington and Ben Franklin. I consider it to be the darkest chapter in our nation's history, except it's not just a chapter. It's, it's most of the book. And we're still trying to recover.
ever dreamed that one day every valley shall be exalted. Every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain. And the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring, and when this happens, when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Now our text, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as slaves, servants, doulos of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or is free. Masters do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Now, that's a bit embarrassing, isn't it? I mean, you can bet that those verses have been used by slave traders for a couple thousand years. Colossians 3, Paul basically says the same thing. 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says the same thing. The whole book of Philemon is a letter from St. Paul to a slave owner named Philemon informing him that he's sending his former slave, his slave Onesimus, back to him, his runaway slave, back to him. It's all rather embarrassing. And so modern, enlightened believers work desperately to explain these verses away. So some translations read servant or bondservant, but the word in, in Greek is doulos. It, it means slave. The Greek word is, is doulos, slave. Clearly means slave. There's one other word for servant, diakonos. That's where we get our word deacon or minister, translated minister or, 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 or servant. The situation is uh, really so difficult that some people simply say, well, uh, those spots in the Bible are wrong. They're, they're just wrong. Or perhaps Peter and, 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 and Paul were wrong and, and Jesus would certainly disagree. Or perhaps they all meant well, they meant well, but they were simply products of their time and therefore mistaken, which assumes that we're not mistaken and not products of, of our time. Some have argued desperately that places 
that slavery in places like, like Ephesus, to which Paul is writing, in the Roman Empire, that slavery in those places just wasn't that bad. Well, the Roman Empire didn't have four million slaves. The Roman Empire had 60 million slaves. A Roman slave was the property of the paterfamilias, the father and the head of the Roman household. He had legal right to execute his slaves. And so there are horrid instances of murder and abuse in ancient Roman documents. Some, some commentators, uh, they cite instances of leniency, hoping that that will somehow lessen the blow. For instance, in 75 AD, Vespasian ruled that in certain cases, female slaves could gain their liberty through a process of prostitution under control of their master. Second century, Hadrian, the emperor, may, may have forbidden the execution of slaves by their master. He may have, but, but even so, I mean, it hardly makes it acceptable, right? Doulos means slave. And slaves had no rights. I mean, actually, it must have been a bit shocking that Paul... Even, even address slaves as if they had a will of their own, even a free will of their own. Well, the Roman Empire literally ran on slaves. Even the Jews had slaves. However, the old covenant law was much more humane than, than the Roman law. But by the time of St. Paul, the Jews themselves were effectively slaves to the Romans just as they had been to the Egyptians. Slave means slave. To make matters worse, the paterfamilias, the head of a Roman household, not only had absolute power over his slaves, he had absolute power over his children. Do you know he could execute his children? Infanticide was an accepted practice in the Roman Empire. Absolute power over his slaves, over his children, and over his wife. And that's what makes Ephesians 5 and 6 so incredibly difficult for us modern and enlightened believers. After informing us, after Paul in, informs us in 1.3 that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and in 1.19 there is an immeasurable greatness of power in us that believe, and that in 2.14 he has broken down the divine wall of hostility making us one because 4-6 there, there's one God and father of all after all of that in Ephesians 5 and 6 Paul writes this wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord children obey your parents in the Lord slaves obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ that's challenging for any of us, and absolutely terrifying if you've ever been used, abused, or treated like a slave. And so we wonder, we wonder why doesn't Paul take these truths to be self-evident? That all men are created equal with certain inalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I mean, why doesn't the Apostle Paul agree with the words of Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, and Benjamin Franklin? Why doesn't Paul tell the slaves to rise up and claim their rights just as Spartacus had done only 100 years before in the famous slave rebellion? Why doesn't Paul tell them to act more like us Americans? Why not? I mean, we've really worked hard as a country to ensure everyone's rights. We've worked hard to turn every slave 
into a master. And so we've gone from this to this. The, the land of the master. Everyone the Lord of his own domain. Well, I need to say, and I really mean this, that I am incredibly proud of the progress that our country has made in such a short time. I mean, I think historically that's rather unprecedented. And yet for all of our progress, you've got to ask, have we really abolished slavery? I mean, we, we've turned a lot of slaves in, into masters, but have we abolished slavery? It seems to me that you can enslave people with more than just iron chains. You can enslave people with, with political chains, with uh, economic chains, with sociological chains, with psychological chains, and with theological chains. That's how Satan does it. He enslaves us with a lie about the logos of theos, a lie about the word of God, so we don't trust God and instead trust our own flesh and the desires of our own mind and own bodies. Well, through legislation here in America, we've turned every slave into a master, and yet masters seem to always find a way to make slaves, don't they? Out of someone. I watched Matt Lauer interview Paula Dean on the Today Show. Did any of you see that? Let me say, I, I don't know if Paula Dean is, is a racist, but any woman that invents something as decadent and tempting as a bacon cheeseburger donut um, obviously needs to, to be punished. But, but I mean, how, how weird is it for a wealthy middle-aged white man who grew up in the 60s to be so thoroughly condescending to an old southern woman for using the n-word 30 years ago. You know, for obvious reasons, white Americans carry just a boatload of guilt and shame. And, and you see, when earthly masters feel guilt and shame, they usually don't repent. What do they do? They make more rules. And they look for scapegoats. Rather than washing feet, they find someone to blame, kind of like I'm blaming Matt Lauer right now. Kind of like Matt Lauer was blaming Paula Deen. Kind of like Paula Deen was blaming the Walmart Corporation. And you can bet the Walmart Corporation have lawyers that will find somebody to blame. We all want someone else to blame. So we make more rules, rules about words, uh, laws. We make more rules, we make more laws. We claim our rights and we find someone to blame. Because in America, by law, we turn every slave into a master. You know, the entire nation of Israel was a nation of former slaves. You know the story. God led the Jews out of Egypt and gave them the law, the, the old covenant law. In John 8, 31, Jesus said to the Jews who, who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they answered, we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you would say you'll become free? We're not slaves. And Jesus answered, truly, everyone who commits sin is a doulos, a slave, a slave to sin. 
Well, you know the story, that offended the Jews. And they quite literally made Jesus their scapegoat. They quite literally made the master and Lord of all their slave. They, they strung him up on a tree. And, and he let them. Paul writes, slaves, obey your earthly masters as you would Christ. About 30 years ago, I was sitting down front in New Testament intro at Fuller Seminary on the right side of the classroom. And we had just had a really long discussion about all of these troubling verses in 1 Peter and, and Colossians and, and Ephesians. I remember I was sitting there just ruminating on all of that when all of a sudden it hit me. Hey, maybe Paul wasn't anti-slavery because he was pro-slavery. Maybe Jesus wasn't anti-slavery because well, he was pro-slave. I mean, what if the problem wasn't the slave, but the master? What if you turned everyone, what if you turned everyone into, into a slave? I mean, if you really wanted to abolish the satanic, earthly, fleshly, evil institution of the master and slave, you could turn every slave into a master, or you could turn every master into a slave. You know, the old covenant can turn slaves into masters. The law can turn slaves into masters. Islam can turn slaves into masters. Judaism can turn slaves into masters. Heck, the United States government can turn slaves into masters. But only God in Christ Jesus through the power of the new and eternal covenant can turn a master into a slave. A slave of righteousness. I mean, man or a woman who chooses to wash the feet of their enemies because they freely want to. Because they have a dream. And even more than that, they have become a dream. They've become God's dream. Men and women created in his own image and his own likeness. And who is he? Who is he really? He's the master who took the form of a, of a doulos and humbled himself to the point of getting lynched on a tree. I mean, maybe Paul didn't tell the slaves to become masters because he actually wanted every master to become a slave. Because the slaves weren't wrong. They were right. The masters were not right, but profoundly wrong. I mean, maybe the life of a slave is not inconsistent with love, but the very definition of love. One person surrendering their rights to another person. One person serving the next person and the next person serving that person. Or imagine three persons, each serving the other person, like three persons and one substance. Call it love. And God is love. If all became slaves, well, we might all become one, even as God is one. You know, Paul actually wrote this. Though I am free from all, though I am free from all, I have made myself a doulos, a slave to all. And he wrote, imitate me. And now he's writing Ephesians from a prison cell. He's already told us that. He's writing it from prison cell, and he's going to tell us that later in chapter 6, he's also in chains. He's in chains. You see, maybe he actually meant this stuff. 
And we Americans just don't get it. Even if we have a master of divinity degree, we don't get it. I mean, I went to seminary. I took the knowledge of good and evil. I got a mass. I earned a master of divinity degree, and I still don't get it. Jesus said to his disciples, you know that the rulers of the nations, the Gentiles, lord it, master it over them, and their masters wield power over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, diakonos. And whoever would be first must be your slave, your doulos. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. James Cone is an African-American pastor, preacher, who's also a professor of systematic theology at Union Theological Seminary. Years ago, a friend uh, went and heard him preach to a predominantly wealthy white congregation. He began his sermon with this line. He said, Jesus is a nigger. He shouted it. And he said, if you want to follow him, you must be ready to become one too. And now by using the N-word, what did he mean? Well, I think he meant Jew. I think he meant kike. I think he meant spick. I think he meant whitey. I think he meant white man. I think he meant Matt Lauer or Paula Dean. Well, what did he mean? He didn't mean race. He meant whoever you put on the other side of that dividing wall of, of hostility. He meant the last and the least of these Christ brethren. He meant the slave who has no rights, no legal recourse, no honor, no respect in this world because, you see, Jesus makes himself that. And I understand the objection to doing that. If you do that, you'll get yourself killed. Yeah, maybe, like St. Paul. If you, if you do that, if you live like that, you could get yourself crucified. Yeah, like Jesus. If you live like that, if you love like that, you could be martyred. Yeah, like Martin Luther King. And blessed, 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 blessed are you. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are you that hunger now. Blessed are you that weep now. Blessed are you when people hate you and exclude you and revile you and spurn you as evil on account of the Son of Man. Blessed are you who know these things and do these things. Blessed are you, but woe. Woe to those that are rich now, said Jesus. Woe to those that are full now, said Jesus. Woe to you when all people speak... Do you know he said that? He said that. Woe to you when all men speak well. Don't we spend all of our lives trying to get everyone to speak well of us? Woe to you. Uh, woe are you when all men speak well of you. Woe to the masters, the lords of this earth. You know, there are certain stories that have literally changed my life. And I'll end up telling those stories every two or three years or so. And I want you to remember them and have them burned in your brains. And this is one of them. It's a story about Robert Coles. Several years ago, around the time that I took New Testament intro at Fuller Seminary, I got to hear the world-renowned Harvard psychologist, Dr. Robert Coles, speak at the National Youth Workers Convention. And he told a story about 
Ruby Bridges, and the story is really about her. In 1960, you may remember a federal judge ordered the forced desegregation of the New Orleans School District, and so every day, six-year-old Ruby Bridges was forced to attend the William Frank Elementary School alone. Because all the other children at the school were white and Ruby was black and the white parents didn't want their children to attend school with a black child and so Ruby attended alone. And because the New York police refused to protect Ruby, the federal judge ordered federal marshals to escort Ruby to and from school every day. Every day passed a mob of screaming white people, adult white people, child white people, past a screaming mob saying, screaming at little Ruby, we're going to kill you, nigger. Distressed by this, the federal judge called on Dr. Coles to fly into New Orleans and meet with Ruby on a regular basis. Well, Dr. Coles shared with us how he was just utterly mystified by six-year-old Ruby because he said she seemed so content. She seemed so happy. She seemed so blessed. She seemed so free. And he figured that Ruby must be like sublimating, repressing, something, something. The longer he spent with her, the more he was mystified by her. Well, one day Ruby's teacher told Dr. Coles that she observed something strange that morning that really, that really troubled her. She said, well, as Ruby was walking to school, I was looking out the window and I watched her crossing with the marshals in front of the crowd. And while she was walking in front of the crowd, all of a sudden she just stopped. And, and, and she looked at the crowd and, and she started talking. And the, the federal marshals obviously were nervous. They tried to get her along, but Ruby wouldn't budge. She just stood there and she talked until suddenly I guess she was finished and she came into the building. Later, Dr. Cole sat Ruby down and questioned her about the incident. He said, Ruby, why were you talking to those people? And little Ruby said, I wasn't talking to those people. And Dr. Cole said, well, well Ruby, your teacher told me that this morning, she was looking out the window. She saw you walking across the street. She saw you stop. She saw you look at the ground. She saw you, you, you talking. And, and little Ruby thought for a minute, and she said, oh, yeah, but I wasn't talking to them. I, I, I was praying. I was praying. You see, Dr. Coles, every, every day I say the same prayer. I'm in the morning, before I take my walk, and after I come home from school, I say the same prayer. And this morning, I forgot to say my prayer. So I was walking across the street, and I saw those people, and I remember I needed to say my prayer. So I stopped, and I said my prayer. And, and you see, it, it, it makes sense, Dr. Coles, because I pray for those people. Thinking he must have missed something, Dr. Coles said, Ruby, um, you pray for those people? And she said, well, yep. He said, you pray for the people in that angry crowd that say such mean things about you. Ruby, you pray for them? She got this confused look on her face, looked up at Dr. Coles and said, well, don't you think they need praying for? <laughs> according to Jesus, according to Paul, who needs praying for? The last or the first? I mean, who most needs praying for? The poor or the rich? The weak or the strong? The slave or his master? Well, don't you think they need praying for? Dr. Cole said, well, Ruby, what do you pray? 
And Ruby said, well, every time I say the same prayer, I, I say, please, God, try to forgive those people because even if they say those bad things, they don't know what, what they're doing. So you could forgive them just like you forgave those folks a long time ago when they said bad things about you. You could forgive them. <laughs> See, I think Ruby Coles really is blessed. She was blessed. And, and maybe, maybe it's folks like Ruby Coles, or Ruby Bridges, sorry. Ruby Bridges, Ruby Coles. Maybe it's rubies that uh, changed the world. Just think of it. A female, a child, a slave of former, or a child of, of former slaves. That's who's preaching the sermon this morning. Truly. But not just Ruby. It's the spirit of Jesus, the word of Jesus coming through Ruby, in Ruby. And now let's read Ephesians one more time. In 521, Paul addresses females, which was highly irregular in that day. And rather than turning females into males, he teaches that we are all females. We're all the bride of Christ. And, and then in 6.1, Paul addresses children which was highly irregular, and he teaches that we're all children of God. And then in 6.5, he addresses slaves. Slaves, obey your, literally, masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. You know, Jesus said, whatever you do to the last and the, and the least of these, and he said, the first will be last. The first will be least. I, I, I mean, maybe Jesus is even hiding in the dark, evil fleshly heart of a, of a master uh, according to the flesh. And they may be the master of your flesh, but Jesus is the master of your soul. Obey as you would Christ. So, so if Christ and your earthly master disagree, obey Christ. Obey as you would Christ. Verse six, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the soul, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord. Same word as master, render service with a good will as to the Lord and not to, to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is slave or is free. So the key to fulfilling meaningful, enjoyable, enjoyable work is, is not the work, but the one you do it for. And I guess you always have some sort of choice as to who it is you're, you're doing it for. So, so if you don't like your job, do it for Jesus. So be a, a slave of men because you're not serving men, you're, you're serving Jesus. Be a slave of Jesus commissioned to serve your earthly master, your earthly boss. Obey your masters, running service to the Lord. Verse nine, masters, do the same to them. Did you catch that? There's a revolution right there. Masters, you, you must become slaves to your slaves with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by eye service, as men pleasers, people pleasers, but as, as slaves of Christ. Paul says this, the same thing in Colossians. Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter. In Philemon, Paul tells Philemon, I'm sending Onesimus back to you, Philemon, as my own child as my own heart. And perhaps this is why he was parted from you for a while, Philemon, that you might have him back forever. Receive him as a dearly beloved brother in the Lord, a brother. Receive him as, 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 as a brother, as a, as a brother. You know, if Philemon just released Onesimus, Onesimus would be chained to destitution and poverty in, in that culture. So Paul writes, take him back as a brother. 
as a brother, as a dearly beloved brother. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we with all our hearts we praise his holy name fall on your knees hear the angel voices do you hear it what's paul saying he's saying i have a dream martin luther king was saying i have a dream but the way to get there, the way to get there is not to turn slaves into masters, but to turn every master into a slave. I have a dream. And Jesus is the dream. Jesus is the master that became the slave, the slave to all. I have a dream because the dream has me. And so Paul writes, masters, do the same, the same to them. And stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and your master is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. The very next thing that Paul talks about in Ephesians is battling principalities and powers, the world rulers of this present darkness, the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, and that makes some sense because it's not the earthly masters that change the earth. It's not the world rulers that change this world. It's the slave. And their weapons are not carnal, but spiritual. It's the power of the powerless. It's the power to lay power down, the power of love. And God is love. You see, the immeasurable greatness of power, true power, was not being exercised by the New Orleans Police Department, not being exercised by that angry crowd, not even being exercised by the U.S. Supreme Court. The power with which Christ subjects all things to himself was operating and exercised in six-year-old Ruby Bridges. It's the slaves of Christ that change the world. It's the servants of love that wield true power. It's not the governor of Alabama. It's Martin Luther King sitting in a jail cell in Montgomery writing letters. It's not Sheriff Clark and his deputies as uh, the bridge outside of Selma, Alabama, as they, they beat those worshipers. It's the worshipers as they're being beaten by uh, that, that white sheriff as they knelt and prayed and the nation washed where, where all would see. It's not the government of South Africa or Great Britain, but Nelson Mandela, Desmond Tutu, Mahatma Gandhi that changed the world. It's not popes and cardinals. It's St. Francis and Mother Teresa. It's slaves like St. Patrick. It's not barbarian hordes and foreign armies. Not them, but Christians thrown to the lions that undo the empire. It's not the Roman Empire that holds true power. But an old Jewish man named Paul Beaten, flogged, chained to a wall, and yet still writing, writing, writing letters from the Roman jail. See, it's not slaves that go to war like Spartacus. It's not even great statesmen like Thomas Jefferson. It's not even the democratic vote of an angry populace chanting, crucify, crucify, crucify. No, it's, it's one naked, beaten, and battered slave nailed to a tree where all flesh will see it together. And, and look. There's a crowd, and he's talking. What's he saying? Father, 
Forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. That's the power that created the world. That is literally the word that was spoken into the void. That's the power that crushes the ancient dragon and makes all things new. And so Paul writes, masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and your master is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. No partiality, no threatening, writes Paul. No partiality, no, no threatening. Is, is that what the modern American evangelical church is, is, is known for? No partiality, no threatening. I mean, I mean, I mean maybe that's why we, we seem to have lost our power. Don't get me wrong, we have power to lobby Congress. We have power to turn shopping malls into church buildings, but we seem to have lost the power to change hearts. Well, the powerless church, the powerless churches in places where power is, is literally illegal for Christians, like in places like China, Sub-Saharan Africa, where you can still get yourself crucified, they're telling a, a different story. No threatening, writes Paul, no threatening. But that's how the principalities and powers of this world operate, we say. No threatening. No partiality. No proso, prosopolemsia. It's a big word. No prosopolemsia, says Paul. Literally, no, it means no receiving face. No judging according to appearances, but by the content of a person's character. That's what it means. And, and, and yet, you know, we've argued, I think, so much of the church has argued that God arbitrarily chooses some for salvation, arbitrarily chooses others for endless torment, and if not that, we argue that God lets you in if you say this little prayer at the back of, uh, of a booklet, and he doesn't let you in if you don't say the little prayer at the back of the booklet, regardless of what you do. Romans 2.6, Paul writes this, he will render to each according to what he has done. And Paul explains that what God wants you to do is have faith. In other words, God wants you to trust him. Do you realize that the one you trust determines all that you do? You do what the one you trust says. The one you trust determines all you do. Trust, trust, you see, is the content of a godly character. Romans 2.6, he will render to each one according to what he has done. Romans 2.11, for there is no prosopolimpsia, no partiality, no favoritism with God. 1 Peter 1.17, Peter writes that the one you call father judges each one without prosopolimpsia. You see, a father wants trust in each one of his children. And the good father judges, discerns each child according to the content of their character. And, and Paul told us that there is one God and father of all, and he speaks his word to create trust in all. That is, Jesus came to seek and slave all, slave to all. But when we, the church, seek to be master of all, rather than servant of all, we resort to threats and to theologies of partiality 
And then we no longer testify to our good father. We testify to the principalities and powers, the world rulers, uh, the, the rulers of this age. We, we refuse to pick up our crosses and can no longer change the world. Why? Because we've become the world. It's not slaves who make themselves masters that change the world, but masters who submit to being slaves. For it's the master who made himself a slave to all that made the world and now redeems all. Jesus Christ enthroned and lifted up on a cross. Do you realize that's the glory of God? And all flesh, like Martin Luther King, all flesh, like he said, all flesh will see it together. And all humanity, all creation will praise the slaughtered lamb on the throne as black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics join hands and sings to him who sits under the throne and unto the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And I suspect that they may also sing this, free at last, free at last. Thank God almighty, I am free at last. And what will they be free from? Their own flesh. Sinful flesh. Under the authority of the principalities and the powers of this world. And what will they be free to do? Love. And be loved. A good free will is trust in God, it's trust in love. When you freely will what God freely wills, then you are truly free and slave to all, free. We see you don't have to wait for that day to be free. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus made himself a slave. Do you remember that? He did the work of a slave. He undressed himself, wrapped a towel around his waist, and he washed the disciples' feet. That was the work of a slave. And then he said this, if you know these things, blessed are you. It means happy are you. Happy are you if you do them. Happy. Do you know what makes me miserable? Because I've thought about this for, for a long time. What makes me miserable is my own desire to make myself first. I got it. <laughs> it's my own desire to make myself the master. It's my own desire to make myself in the image of God, to make myself a master of divinity. It's my ego, it's my pride, it's my flesh. Several years ago I went through something that just brutalized my ego. Everything that I thought I built was taken away and I felt used, abused. I felt like a slave. But I don't think that I was being enslaved. In, in fact, I think I was being set free. It's the masters who are truly in bondage to this world and the sinful desires of their own flesh. It's the slaves who choose to be slaves that are truly free. Free to love and, and be loved. Well, well, during that time, a friend arranged a, a lunch for me down at Chili's with some other pastors. Uh, they all turned out to be inner city pastors and all of them were African American. I remember we sat at lunch, we went around saying our names and, and this uh, one fellow said his name and then he, he said his last name, Hyatt. And he looked at me and said, hey, 
How do you spell that? And he said, well, we spell it H-I-E-T-T. I know that's unusual. It's kind of different. Not very many people spell it that way. And I said, well, my name is Peter. My name is Peter Hyatt. And, and, and we spell it the same way. And, and I looked at him and, and he looked at me. And suddenly I realized that somewhere, somehow, some of my ancestors at least had been slave owners. And he realized that some of his ancestors had been their slaves. And I remember I felt such incredible shame. And then he smiled at me. And I smiled at him. And then we started laughing. And then we held hands. And then we prayed together as brothers. The Hyatt brothers. The Hyatt boys. It was a dream. Now, I would have loved that any day of my life, but that day I remember thinking, oh, God, oh, Jesus, thank you that I'm not a master. I'm your slave. Because now I'm free. I'm free to love my brother. And not only that, I'm free to love you. I'm blessed. And so you see, this, this message may seem like a downer at first, but there's an incredible flip side. You see, if you've been used and abused, if you've been hated and reviled, if you've been treated like a slave, maybe, maybe it's not a curse, or not just a curse, but a blessing. Satan will tell you that you are last of all and least of all, while God is introducing you to the best of all and the first of all, your brother, Jesus the Christ. I was publicly tried and condemned. I'm sure that I did many things wrong, but after the crowd voted and pronounced judgment, partly out of fear for my own soul, I asked if I could pray. And I remember I, I stood up and I prayed that, well, that God would just forgive. And the moment I said the word forgive, my wife Susan had a vision she saw Jesus come. Jesus came and he took me down off of a cross. At the time, that day, that, that day felt like the absolute worst day of my life. But, but if, if life is not about making yourself the master, but instead learning to be a slave like Christ, well then you see the, the worst day of my life was the absolute best day of my life. Because Jesus is born in places like that. Did you see that in that first video from the movie Amistad, the baby born on the slave ship? It, Jesus is born in places like that. And Jesus is glorified in places like that. Jesus conquers me in places like that. And Jesus conquers the world and crushes the ancient dragon in places like that through people like us when we love like him. You see, it's there that he himself becomes the content of our character. And it's there that we do not only have a dream, we become God's dream. Men and women created in the very image of love. So close your eyes if you would. Just close them for a minute. And I want you to picture the angry crowd. I want you to picture your angry crowd. 
Don't think about somebody else's angry crowd. Think about your angry crowd. Think about maybe they were, there was a group of kids at school when you were little. Maybe it's some friends that have betrayed you. Maybe it's someone or some people that have used, abused, and, and enslaved you. I mean, people can do that on, with all sorts of different uh, uh, definitions and prerogatives and, and chains that, that they can use. I want you to think of that crowd. Just think of them. Just, just look at them. Do you see them? Now I want you to call on Jesus. Say, Jesus, help me. Send your spirit to help me. And now why don't you talk? Say this, say this. You can at least say this silently in your, in your heart and you may say it out loud when you get home. But just say, Father, Would you forgive them? Because they don't know what they were doing. And you could, you, you could forgive them just like you forgave those people that said bad things about you. In Jesus' name, Father, forgive. Now listen closely. God has a dream. And you are that dream. And so on the night that the master was betrayed by all of us, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take it, eat it, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new, the eternal covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. And so he calls you to come to his banqueting table. We invite you to tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup. The white cups are juice. The, the dark cups are wine. They're both the life of Jesus given to you. Um, and after you uh, take the bread and you partake of, of the, the blood, the, the wine, the, the juice, then let's worship. Because you see, his grace really is amazing. In fact, we're going to sing that song. And it was written by an ex-slave trader who himself uh, became a slave of slave traders and then a slave of Jesus. You, you know, all the best songs are written by people like that. God is turning you into a good singer. So let's worship him. Amen. Are mighty to save. God, I think the salvation that what I read about in the Bible that blows my mind the most is not that you would save the slave Onesimus, but that you would save the slave owner named Saul who wrote what we read this morning, 
whom you met on the road to Damascus as he was going there with papers to capture believers in you and imprison them, enslave them, either for execution or to be thrown into, into to bondage as a slave. But Lord Jesus, you saved Saul and turned him into St. Paul. And so you are mighty to save. Save us. In Jesus' name we ask it, Lord God. Amen. And so this morning, some of you, we're in different roles in society, you know, and in different relationships. And in certain places, you're more like the slave. In certain relationships, you're more like that or the servant. In other relationships, you're more like the master. Some people here in, in our congregation don't have a, a place to, to sleep. Other people um, run corporations. But you see, you're all called to be slaves. So if, you, if you're in that slave position, Serve your, your boss, serve your master with a heart as if you were serving Christ. And if you're in that master position, well, wash the, wash the feet of your employees, of the servants, of, of the slaves. Because you see, we're all brothers and we're going to an incredible party with wives and children and former slaves. And in fact, did you know that this section of Ephesians is so controversial? There's this word for it, the Hussenflugenflagen or something like that. It's a German word. It means the household rules. And, and it's what theologians are so, so stressed about. But we forget that this whole section on women and then children and then slaves, it begins with one verse, and it's in, in verse 21, I believe, where Paul has been talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, uh, Be, being filled with the Holy Spirit, subject yourselves one to another. And you see, that's not bad news. That's great news. Because that's the way they do it in the Godhead. <laughs> the Trinity. The kingdom of heaven. And that, my friends, is a very happy place. So in Jesus' name, believe the gospel and be blessed. Amen.